Hey historians, this is Ryan. The episode you're about to listen to contains pretty major spoilers for the new Jedi Order story arc from the Star Wars Expanded Universe. If you're interested in learning more about it, stay tuned after the episode for some recommendations on what to check out. Enjoy! Welcome to Other Worlds, a podcast exploring hidden histories, alternate timelines, and fantastic folklore from galaxies far, far away. I'm your host this week, Ryan Matsunaga, and joining me today are Jack Sullivan. Hello, everyone. And Derek Kohler. Nice to be here. Folks, we all know the story. A humble farmhand on a desert planet dreams of adventure and finds it when he joins a wise old warrior monk and a dashing smuggler to rescue a princess from the clutches of a terrible interstellar empire. And we all know where that story ends. Decades later, that smuggler is murdered by his own son. The princess leads a desperate resistance against a fanatical warlord. And that farmhand has become a wise old monk in his own right, ultimately sacrificing his life to give hope to a galaxy in peril. But that's not what I want to talk about today. What if I was to tell you that there was a very different story, a very different path these figures took through galactic history? This week, we're going to talk about the Yu Sanbong invasion. Guys, scale of one to ten, how familiar are we with this invasion? Um, one being, one no, being, we've never even heard of it. Ten uh, being, I am a historian. I'm like a negative four right now. This Fair is enough. brand new information for me. I'm about a one point two. I've, I've, I've heard about it in passing from other uh, scholars, but I've never actually read the literature on it. Well, I want to prepare you guys then, because this is truly one of the darkest eras in galactic history one filled with war and death on a scale that we have never seen before and will hopefully never see again. Are you ready? Yeah, let's dive in. All right. First, let's take a step back, way, way back. Thousands of years before the Empire, before the Rebellion, before even the time of the Old Republic, there was an alien race living in a distant galaxy. They were called the Yuuzhanbong. Early on in their history, their people were caught in the middle of a war between two droid races. This led to a profound hatred of all technology. But they also found a taste for violence and conquest. So the Vong learned to craft tools, weapons, even starships from organic material. And taking to the stars, they began a vicious conquest of the galaxy that would last for millennia. When they had finally defeated every enemy, exhausted every natural resource, and honed their culture into this unrelenting, pain-worshipping cult of war, they turned their attention outwards to galaxies unexplored and unconquered. So they took their vast fleet, centered around these giant kind of arc-like vessels called world ships, and they embarked on a crossing of what's known as the intergalactic void. It's a region of space that separates galaxies. However, because it's a void, they were unable to properly navigate this space. So their ships had to travel at sublight speeds, which is like below hyperspeed, right? And because of that, the journey took thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And because of how long this took, a ship traveling like even a little bit faster arrived on the other side centuries, maybe even thousands of years ahead of the rest of the fleet. 
and it's for this reason that we found references to the Vong scattered throughout our recorded histories. Do they have like an extended life period? Or no, it's generations and generations and generations just kind of in this bubble of culture, just getting more and more extreme as we kind of see reflected once they get out on the other side. And honestly, like they, they barely survived this transition. You know, they fought wars amongst themselves. They nearly faced extinction multiple times. And by the time they got out on the other end, they were, uh, they were a pretty brutal beast. Was this, was this before the hyperspace lanes were developed? This is a di whole different galaxy. Wow. So, you know, to, to use a hyperspace lane within a galaxy is one thing, but to traverse from one galaxy to another, it's just like, hadn't been done. We take those for granted. Mm -hmm. I mean, like... <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, imagine traveling for thousands of years to get to your destination. Yeah. That's, uh, that's quite a trip. So, nearly 4,000 years before the Rebel Alliance was ever formed, ancient Jedi encounter strange, hostile alien life forms that seem to feed off of solar radiation. At the height of the Mandalorian War, a squadron of Neo-Crusaders discover a mysterious alien ship disguised as an asteroid in the Crispin system. A mysterious seed from beyond our galaxy arrives in the Gardaji Rift, eventually blossoming into the living planet Zonama Sakat. Thirty years before the Galactic Civil War, disgraced Sith apprentice Darth Maul kills a vicious alien prisoner in the gladiatorial pits of Kaukai 7. And in the unknown regions, a brilliant Chiss strategist named Thrawn works with a figure known only as Darth Sidious to prevent hostilities with a vast alien fleet gathering at the edge of the galaxy. And if you're asking at this point, did Emperor Palpatine know about the coming invasion? Well, I'd like to share this quote from a man named Kinman Doriana, who was one of Emperor Palpatine's inner circle and among his most trusted supporters. He said, there's an invasion coming, a massive assault force of dark ships, shadowy figures, and weapons of great power based on organic technology of a sort we've never seen before. We believe these far outsiders, as we call them, already have a foothold at the far edge of the galaxy, and even now have scouting parties seeking information on worlds and peoples to conquer. Given this, does this change your view on Palpatine and his methods at all? Yeah, it seems like he was preparing the Empire to have to protect against this massive invasion, and now the beloved rebels that we've known about forever in history might have like put a stop to this plan to protect the galaxy as they knew it. It feels like the rebels are almost an afterthought compared to this this invasion. So he's kind of fighting wars on two fronts. Right. Almost uh, what we've seen in World War One. True, it's true. And look, the, the Emperor was undeniably an evil, evil man. Like that's just fact. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a historian who denied that the galaxy would have been far better prepared under the rule of the Empire. So let's flash forward. The Galactic Civil War is over, the Empire has fallen, its most loyal supporters have retreated to the Outer Rim to form what's known as the Imperial Remnant, and a fledgling New Republic has been established to replace it. The galaxy limps forward, still rebuilding after a war that nearly tore it in two. It's weak, disorganized, vulnerable. 25 years after the Battle at Yavin, the Yushan Vong invasion begins. Their fleet entered the known galaxy at a point codenamed Vector Prime. Their strategy was to quickly and brutally gain control of Outer Rim worlds, and before their enemies could respond, cut a path towards the core, towards Coruscant, severing supply lines as they went. Do we know how they had knowledge of the galaxy's layout, having traveled, you know, thousands of years? To so we, we first see them about 25 years after the Battle of Yavin, but they had spent centuries before that scouting 
infiltrating, learning everything they could about us. I think well, from what we know of their history, they considered Palpatine and the Empire to be a real threat. And it's possible to even theorize that the fall of Palpatine was one of the major instigators of the invasion at that time. In this point in history, what, what was the state and, um, and status of Coruscant within, within the New Republic? The Coruscant was, became the uh, New Republic capital, kind of just segued right off of the imperial rule. Uh, and in fact, like a lot of the politicians and a lot of the people who made up the New Republic government were former people who were involved in some way in the imperial government. Hmm. So there was a lot of infighting, there was a lot of political disorganization, and it was just not in a great state to govern a galaxy, much less protect it. Right? Yeah. So on the icy, uninhabited world of Helska IV, the Vong land what's known as a Yamask, or a war coordinator. These are these massive, massive life forms that serve as sort of a biological computer. They make calculations and analytical decisions for their fleets and invasion forces. There they encounter a ship of a squadron of ships led by a Jedi master named Kip Duran, and they kill almost every single one of them, which is some serious foreshadowing of what's to come. Then on the planet of Serpendal, the war truly begins when the Vong use a gravity-manipulating creature called a Dovin Basil to draw the planet's moon towards it. This is a technique that they developed uh, back when they were fighting themselves in a civil war back in the Yusan Vong galaxy. They would basically create one of these wells on a planet and just bring the planet's moon down on top of it. Obviously, not a great way to create uh, survivors or friends, but pretty effective way of just destroying a population. Yeah, so they weren't worried too much about territory, it was more just completely wiping out. Yeah, at, least for the, at least at the outset, their goal was just annihilation of their enemies. They were brutal and, and terrifying enemies. It's a more organic version of what the Death Star would do. Kind of, like yeah. Leveraging fiber crystals to just decimate planets and Absolutely. just use their own resources against them. So coincidentally, none other than Han Solo is on the planet at the time along with his son Anakin and Chewbacca. They manage to find and destroy the Dovin Basil, but it's too late and the moon comes crashing down on the planet. The Millennium Falcon escapes, but Chewbacca doesn't, nobly sacrificing his life to save Anakin and many civilians during the evacuation. This is one of the biggest casualties of the early war and obviously something that would leave its mark on New Republic morale for the entirety of the conflict. And how did Han Solo react and Anakin react? It's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Some would say poorly. <laughs> but did, did it change their motivations for their involvement? I think at this point, um, you know, we can, we can uh, guess at what, you know, they personally were feeling about this. But when we think about the Yushan Vong invasion, this is a war on a scale that we can't even imagine. Just billions and trillions of people involved. So I think it's even bigger than, you know, uh, even a huge historical figure like Han Solo. Mm -hmm. Our galaxy's biggest figures no longer matter in a war this big at this scale. And at this point, the war is well and truly on. But it would be months before the New Republic is able to get its situation together. Leading the Republic is a chief of state known as Bors Kelea, who succeeded Leia Organa Solo as the new chief of state. And Velea is a good politician, but he really failed to recognize the scale of the threat that these invaders posed. And uh, when Helska IV was threatened, he dispatched only a single Star Destroyer to go quell that. Mm -hmm. He just was not prepared to uh, respond to invasion of this magnitude and was much more concerned about his political situation on Coruscant. And while that Star Destroyer succeeded at slowing down the invasion by actually managing to kill the Yamask, the Star Destroyer, as well as pretty much every ship escorting it, was destroyed. It was, a, it was a huge blow to them. The New Republic forces were led by a Celestine Admiral named Sien Sov, 
and while Saab was really tactically competent, his strategy proved to be far too conservative and defensive. After this defeat at Helska 4, he basically focused his fleets on protecting the major hyperspace lanes leading to the core, basically hoping that this patient approach would eventually allow them to find an opportunity to end the war in just one decisive battle. You could tell like the, the New Republic forces were still really in this mindset of the Rebel Alliance and the Battle of Endor. Being patient, finding an opportunity, and just ending a war with one battle. And if you're rebuilding, you know, the galaxy, you might not have the resources to push for an aggressive sure. attack. That's fair. That's fair. Do we have context of of what technological advancements star destroyers and actually like blasters do against the organic warfare? Oh, it's uh, we'll get into the specifics of yeah. kind of Yusan Bong technology in a second, but uh, it proved uh, really ineffective at the start of the war, just having to adapt all of their military tactics to an enemy that was using none of the similar weapons, right? So. Unfortunately, this strategy, while sound in its own way, had consequences. The Yusan Vong cut a bloody path through these nearly undefended territories and eventually made their way all the way to Dantooine, where millions of war refugees had been evacuated. The battle there was an absolute slaughter, despite Luke Skywalker himself arriving to lead the defense. When all is said and done, nearly half the refugees on the planet had been killed, and the legendary Rogue Squadron had lost half of its pilots. So, at this point, let's take a quick sidebar and kind of go back to what you were saying and talk about some of the technologies that made the Vong such a difficult enemy to fight, like, even for a Jedi Master. So remember that all of their tech is biological, all their weapons and even ships are life forms that are literally grown and adapted to fit their uses. So their fighter ships were called coral skippers by the Republic forces because they looked kind of like rocks, you know, they were often confused with asteroids. Instead of laser cannons, they basically uh, ate rocks and debris, heated them up, and fired them out like molten bullets, mm. which proved really effective against the hulls of ships. They also had their own individual Dovin basils inside of them, which could generate what was like more or less like a tiny black hole, and they were the equivalent of the Vong shields. They'd float around the hull of the ship, and they'd suck up lasers and projectiles, which is uh, something that, you know, it, you have to learn how to pilot around, right? The Yushan Vong warriors themselves wore what was called Von Doom Crab Armor, which was this hard-shelled creature, like literally a creature, that would latch onto a warrior and form this like suit of armor around them. And because of the crystalline structures in that creature's uh, shell, it was so hard that it could resist blasters and even lightsabers. And their most iconic weapon was called the Ampistaff, which were these snake-like creatures that they bred to be able to harden at will and become like a spear-like weapon, or to be flexible and be used like a whip. And most terrifying at all, again, snake-like creatures, their heads could bite. Mm. And they could also spit venom up to 20 meters. And if that venom made skin contact, it was not only extremely painful, it was almost always lethal, and the victim was generally dead within 24 hours. So you can imagine, like, it's no surprise that these guys are absolute morale killers, you know. No Republic soldier wants to get in a fight with a guy whipping around a bladed snake that spits venom. You know, this is a whole nother animal of an enemy and it's uh, and they can attack from across the battlefield with something right, that's an right. immediate lethal yeah. shot it's a uh, it it was an adaptation period for sure figuring out like how to fight these people and you know just how to not be absolutely terrified to go into battle against these guys one, one of the immediate questions i have is how is their supply chain if they're using all organic material and they're almost nomadic in like viking-esque warfare how are they able to replenish um their armors their ship yeah. Their weapons. I mean, like going back to what Jack was saying in terms of like not really caring about claiming territory or keeping those populations intact, they would just scavenge from whatever planet they went to mm. and just 
exhaust the resources from that planet to fuel their war machine, wow. which was a big reason why they had to leave their original galaxy in the first place. Just their war had bled that galaxy of pretty much anything usable. And adding to the sense of like otherness they had as a species, the Vong had managed to cut themselves off from the Force thousands and thousands of years ago, which effectively hid their presence from Jedi and made it a lot more difficult to not only detect them, but to fight them and to just understand what their motivations were. So the Vong invasion force continued down a hyperlane called the Selenon Spur, and they arrived at a planet called Ithor. With their new territory now threatened, the Imperial Remnant actually dispatched a fleet to aid the planet, so bringing them into the war. But it wasn't enough, and the Vong force a desperate evacuation when they unleashed a biological weapon that devastates the planet's surface. So again, they are not against just utilizing whatever they have at their disposal to just massacre a population as quickly as possible and move on. And despite all of this, I mean, it sounds terrible, but despite all of this, the New Republic bureaucracy is just so slow to react. When the Vong attack a planet called Obra Sky, which is a planet renowned for its libraries and its key scientific research stations, only a really small fleet of these old beaten down warships, not a single Star Destroyer and just one squadron of X-Wings is able to respond in time. And it's just obviously just woefully insufficient to mount even a modest defense. It's, it'd be tough to even call it a battle. Yeah, it's gross negligence almost rather than just being slow too sure. on the part of the Republic. Yeah, it's just being separated, you know, Coruscant from the Outer Rim. And this is a problem that the Old Republic had, that the Empire had, and of course the New Republic has. It's just, it's tough to govern territories that are that far away and to understand what is happening when you're safe and sound on Coruscant, right? Was, so, was Han Solo able to use his personal loss from the death of uh, Chewbacca to rally some, some of the Alliance's cause? I mean, there's definitely a faction with, within the New Republic that is really desperately trying to mount a defense and turn the situation around before it gets even worse. You know, key figures like people you'd expect, Leia Solo, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, these are the people that are on the front lines right now. But it's just not enough, you know, when you're mm -hmm. talking about uh, hundreds of planets and trillions of lives, you need a government that can truly mount a organized defense, you know, it can't just come down to one or two heroes. And so in response to this huge loss, Admiral Sov doubles down on his defensive strategy. He just goes deep with it. And he decides to reinforce a line of planets on the border of the core. And unfortunately, the Vong strike a deal with the Huts and completely bypass this defensive line by moving their fleet through Hut space. And it's, it's, a, it's seen as almost like a betrayal, you know, of the New Republic population, of seeing like them double down on the strategy of just protecting the planets around the core and that not even working. And all these planets on the outer rim that are really suffering under the brunt of this invasion, they actually start to turn on the New Republic and on the Jedi too. Just, if you can't protect us, maybe it's not worth being in this fight. And it's, it's pretty dark already, but it gets a lot darker from there. What follows is basically just disaster after disaster for the New Republic. Literally six months without a single victory. At this point, just morale's in the toilet. New Republic forces are going into every battle just expecting to lose. It's just a question of how badly are we going to lose today. And public sentiment across the galaxy is really turning against the Republic. And many planets in the invasion path are just surrendering rather than even try to fight back. Because they know they're not going to get a force dispatched to them that's going to be enough to turn it back. Are they met with mercy? Mm, it's mercy as maybe the Vong would have it. The Vong do take prisoners from time to time, but often they're used as slave labor mm -hmm. or they're sacrificed in these kind of ritualistic sacrifice, mass uh, killing rituals. So it's, uh, it's not a good 
It's not a good situation to yeah. be in either way. You could almost see the Republic's incompetence as breeding a new empire that we've seen throughout history. We keep um, new enemies of the Republic coming in, such as the First Order that we see years later, that you kind of get that sentiment of why people would turn against the Republic. If sure. instances like this, they feel they can't be protected. Absolutely. One of the questions is, um, so the Usong Vong struck a deal with the huts mm -hmm. to be able to go through hut jurisdiction space. Mm -hmm. um, how come they didn't take control of the huts, the, the Republic? Uh, well, I mean, the hut space has always been independent and independent for a reason. You know, they wield a lot of influence over the galaxy and have their own fleets and their own soldiers at their disposal. I think they've proven to be difficult, if not impossible, to conquer before. And for the most part, when you're a fledgling government like the Republic, your attention is probably not going to be turned to conquering new space, right? Mm -hmm. Probably just doubling down and figuring out how to govern the space that you have. It's also yeah. interesting that the Vong chose a diplomatic route mm -hmm. with the huts rather than just blowing through yeah. them. As brutal as the Vong can be, they they prove to be really adept at navigating a political space. You know, they really utilize spies and saboteurs and infiltrators, and uh, they're they're they know how to play the war game a lot better than anyone in the Republic, for that matter, knows how to do that. Was there any monetary exchange with the Huts? I know that they're keen on being bribed. I think it was more a situation of, like, you won't be annihilated, right? Yeah. Which is a pretty good motivator, I <laughs> think, true. for anyone. So in the midst of all this, there's a little glimmer of hope. The Huts have begun playing both sides, as you might expect from the Huts, feeding the Republic information on the Vong's plans. The Republic used this to try to lay a trap for the Vong at a planet called Corellia. Unfortunately, though, this was all a ruse. The Vong knew that the Huts were going behind their back, because it's the Huts, mm -hmm. and they purposefully leaked them false information. So instead of arriving at Corellia, the Vong fleet attacked Fondor, the site of the Republic's second biggest shipyard, and one of the main sources of new ships that they would have to join the fight. And while the Republic was able to scramble defenses in time, it wasn't enough to prevent pretty much the entire destruction of the shipyard there. By the end of the first year of the invasion, the Vong had conquered dozens of worlds under the protection of the Republic. And in its darkest hour yet, the Vong take their first core world at the Battle of Duro. And again, six months without a single victory, every single one of these is almost a complete rout for the Republic. It's almost how many people can we get out in time. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly though, the Vong stopped their onslaught there and actually offered a several month long ceasefire. And as you might expect though, this is, this is just a ploy. The Vong offer a promise of peace if the galaxy at large turns over to them all the Jedi. So probably correctly believing that the Jedi are the greatest threat to their invasion, the Vong are basically uh, turning the public against them here and forcing them underground, making it really difficult for them to run operations and to be the protectors of the galaxy. So while this is happening, the Vong are regrouping and preparing their fleets for a decisive push, a direct attack on the New Republic capital of Coruscant. So with the Jedi now scattered, with public uh, opinion turned against the New Republic, and with their fleets just in disarray across the galaxy trying to defend every single front, the Vong launch a massive attack on the planet, overwhelming the fleets in orbit. But as you might expect, Coruscant is heavily defended. Obviously this was their strategy to just uh, reinforce the core worlds, particularly Coruscant. So the Vong implements some very unorthodox tactics. Again, they are merciless but they are savvy they know what they're doing in the business of war so they actually take captured refugee ships and weaponize them they just use them to bombard the planetary shield until it falls and once it's down they use those ships to cover their ground invasion force 
and the Republic commanders leading the defense can't decide whether to fire on them or not. You know, these are civilian ships, and when one does to, you know, keep the bong from landing ground forces, it causes just a ton of internal strife within their ranks, miscommunication, arguments, and it just weakens their defenses even more within this already chaotic battle. So they have psychological warfare, biological warfare, just regular warfare, and the political savvy to really yeah. just annihilate what the New Republic had in store. They are just truly a culture that is just dedicated to war. Just every nuance and facet of it, that's all they do. And it's a, it's a terrifying force to have to contend with. So after really immense casualties on both sides, Chief of State Felia himself is killed when he detonates a bomb that destroys the former Imperial Palace, taking about you know, 25,000 Bong warriors with him. But it's not enough. Coruscant has fallen. It's an outright victory for the Yushan Bong. And the Republic politicians who survive, you know, not many, but the ones who survived are really split between those willing to continue the fight and again, a lot of these led by people like Leia and uh, Lando Calrissian and, and those among the kind of old guard of uh, rebel alliance fighters. And a lot of them who just want to surrender at this point. It's over. Like, there's no point in taking more casualties. Taking the capital is just the final blow, the final nail in the coffin for morale. Yeah, at this point, the New Republic as we know it is just gone. You know, there's, there's no more government. It's just scattered forces and those hopefully trying to lead what remains. But... From these ashes, as it does, hope rises. In an incredible last stand, fleets led by General Wedge Antilles manage to not only regroup above the planet Borlaeus, but strike a massive blow to the Vong by actually destroying a world ship, one of their kind of uh, leadership arcs. And with some momentum behind them, the Republic actually manages to reorganize a little behind a new government, and in the true spirit of the rebel alliance that preceded them, they, take, they go back to the roots. They take to more hit-and-run tactics. They inflict significant casualties of the Vong forces, sabotage a lot of their attempts to terraform captured uh, territories, and then kind of like a reversal, just make it difficult for the Vong to hold what they've gotten. Mm -hmm. And kind of in, in one of my favorite moments of, of this historical period, the legendary war hero Admiral Jial Akbar, through, you know, he's well into his senior years at this point, but he comes out of retirement to help train the next wave of Republic defenders. And when he returns, a, a simple message is broadcast out to the entire defense force. It just reads, Akbar is back. And this leads to literal actual celebrations breaking out on uh, Republic fleets. Akbar's back. And that, yeah. that's just such an amazing moment. And while unfortunately his health is too poor to actually lead the Republic forces, you know, he's, he's an old man at this point. The strategies that he helps develop lead to an actual string of victories, you know, small victories, but ones that really help to boost morale. And he constructs this kind of plan to trap the Yushan Bong using the knowledge that they are after the Jedi at this point. So he constructs this trap that convinces the Bong that some of the last remaining Jedi are hiding on this moon called Ebok 9. And in the ambush that followed, the Jedi Jaina Solo, who's the daughter of Han Solo, duels and kills Savang Long, who is the war master of the entire Yushan Bong military. So just huge, huge uh, blow to the, the Especially there. with being force immune and their armor protecting from lightsabers. Absolutely. That's an incredible victory. I, I don't think anyone expected it to be that successful. And from here, the forces of the Republic actually begin to gain ground for the first time in the war. They're successful in weakening the defenses surrounding Coruscant and the Core Worlds. Uh, new allies emerge when the Imperial Remnant recommits its fleets, and they actually join with the Republic to form uh, what's known as the Galactic Alliance. 
Um, and those forces are joined by independent ones led by the Chiss and the Haps Consortium. Wow. Lando Calrissian and Han Solo managed to organize a fleet of uh, former smuggler ships that go around disrupting Yusan Vong lines. And Mandalorian strike teams led by none other than Boba Fett secure vital hyperspace routes for this burgeoning alliance. This is really the coming together of the entire galaxy, Absolutely. basically, to save what little they had. This, you could really consider this like the moment that uh, they decide to make their final stand, and it really determines the fate of the entire war. And the Vong, though, are are fighting the last man, though, right? Sure. They're, they're taking the island, they've burned their own boats, so <laughs> they have no home to go back to. Yeah, the Vong, regardless, would have fought to the last man. Yeah. They are, you know, they're not giving it up without a fight, and it's going to be a, a brutal couple of months to come, regardless. So we're, we're drawing into the fifth year of the war at this point. And in the skies above Mon Calamari, where the New Republic has, or the Galactic Alliance, I should say, has basically established their new capital, a Vong assault is actually turned away. And this gives the Alliance an opportunity to finally strike back, to go on the offensive in a, in a really well-orchestrated way. And the combined Alliance fleet masses for a final all-or-nothing attack on Coruscant to determine the fate of the war. And it's the biggest battle the galaxy has seen in centuries, if not longer, if ever, you know. The Alliance suffers over 5 million casualties in this assault. At least 300 capital ships are destroyed, 11,000 starfighters are lost. But when the dust settles, the supreme overlord of the Yu Hanbong has been killed by none other than Luke Skywalker. And with their fleet and army broken in the assault, they actually surrender. It ends the war. So, in the years that followed, the remaining Vong depart the galaxy in the midst of this growing movement that we had been kind of unaware of at this point to repair their society and leave behind their warlock ways. And as it turns out, there were a lot of elements within the Vong government itself and within the Vong population that weren't so on board with this uh, militaristic approach. They just needed the big figureheads kind of out of the way. And, you know, with that military apparatus disassembled, they were more than happy to kind of leave and, and figure wow. out what they could do from here. And the galaxy finally begins to rebuild. But all told, it was a devastating, devastating conflict. By its end, over 300 trillion had died. And countless worlds had been rendered just completely uninhabitable. And that was just in, I think you said five years, right? Five years, yeah. Five years of fighting. So where, where are the Vong now? Are, are they rebuilding their society in the unknown regions or...? They've, as far as we know, departed the galaxy. They're off on a, a kind of almost a pilgrimage maybe to kind of reclaim their identity now that the war is over. And, you know, despite all of this though, the war did manage to reunify the galaxy in a meaningful way for the first time in thousands of years. And it strengthened ties between former enemies like the Republic and the Imperial Remnant as they attempted to put the pieces back together. And as is always the case, prepare the galaxy for new challenges that are looming just over the horizon. And that's the end of the Yu San Vong War. Wow, what did you think? It's incredible. They, it's crazy they don't teach these in school nowadays. <laughs> it's such a major impact that it's had on the galaxy. The price of our freedom, it's just you can't take it for granted. It's incredible. And, and just thinking about the current state of Mandalorians, the Empire Remnants, the Republic, even smugglers. Just to see that unification is, is amazing. It's, a, it's truly an incredible era in, in our galactic history. Well, thanks guys. Uh, this has been Other Worlds. Thank you for uh, joining us on this adventure today, Jack and uh, Derek. 
and thank you listeners for supporting the show. You can follow us on Twitter at OtherWorldsPod and let us know what topics you'd be interested in hearing us talk about in the coming weeks. In the meantime, we'll be back next week with yet another fascinating history, and we'll see you all soon. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening, historians. If you're interested in exploring this story further, it's all collected in the New Jedi Order series of novels. This expanded universe story arc began in 1999 with R.A. Salvatore's Vector Prime and ended 19 novels later with James Luceno's The Unifying Force in 2003. Under the canon reorganization, these novels are now classified as legends, but they're still fairly widely available, so you should have no trouble finding them. And if you use the Amazon Associate links in the show description, you'll be helping to support the show and future expeditions just like it. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.